Generate Thrive podcast. I'm Austin. And I'm Caden. And uh, here we talk about the crazy and amazing stories found throughout the Bible. We believe that the Bible is the most amazing set of documents that have ever been collected in history. And we love to read them, talk about them, study them, and uh, learn everything we can about them and apply it to our lives. So welcome and enjoy. Mark chapter 9. Yeah, there. here we go. So uh, last week we talked about a little bit of a turning point in the gospel where Peter confesses uh, that he believes Jesus is this Messiah figure. And then Jesus goes on to tell him the reality of that idea that then he's going to go and suffer and be killed. Yeah. So radically different uh, Messiah idea that Jesus had for himself than what like Jewish people would have thought the Messiah was. Yeah. So Peter did not like that answer. Yeah. Uh, so, but chapter nine, we're going to continue on that idea of Jesus now showing Peter what that means, mm-hmm. that, that reality of him being the Messiah. And it starts with this crazy thing called the transfiguration. Yeah. So this is really a continuation from the last section of chapter eight. In the beginning of chapter nine. Yeah, that, that messianic secret now is being revealed to Peter and like us as the reader of this gospel. So, transfiguration, what happens? Okay. Um, I don't, like, I don't know what, uh, there's like some, uh, diamonds in the rough, but it seems, like, it just kind of Gets right after it. Uh, Jesus takes up his takes up Peter, James, and John, and led them to a high mountain where they're all alone. And then Jesus starts to uh, his clothes start to turn to a dazzling white. And then uh, to the side you have Elijah and Moses talking with Jesus. And then you have uh, the first kind of uh, conversation that they have when when they're up on the mountain. And it is between Peter to Jesus. And he said, Rabbi, is it good for us to be here? Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But we have like a, a parenthesis here. And so he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. So it's like you can kind of imagine what that kind of what they're going through well like to a a very like you can't really imagine what they're going through but you can kind of try to place yourself there so what is the transfiguration Jesus bring like uh, Jesus taking himself and showing his disciples that he is he's God he's the Messiah yeah yeah I know it's a it's a weird account weird passage like a lot happens, a lot of things that we can't really like understand. Her, yeah, Elisha and Moses showing up, yeah. you know. Um, when I when uh, it talks about Elijah and Moses, I think of like that just ties Jesus back in with everything that's happened. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's what I think about. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, he's always been a part of the equation, even if we haven't referenced him by name. Yeah, I would, I would agree. That's good. 
So <laughs> the significance of Moses showing up, which is one is weird, and kind of that Moses shows up, but Moses is there. And Elijah, we, I got asked, I don't know if you're there, I got asked uh, this week if when a Moses showed up, if that was really Moses or was it like just a you know, hologram? Yeah, yeah, like was it just like a spiritual being, like angel showing uh-huh. as Moses or was it just like a vision that he saw Moses there? Yeah. So kind of interesting, but I don't know. Um, like I understand why Moses would be there because Jewish people would have like been following the law of Moses. Moses would have been really important, led him out of like, like yeah. led the Exodus. But what's the significance for like Elijah being there? Like, oh, I understand yeah. like he's a really he's a, an important prophet. Mm-hmm. But uh, okay, so um, it says that so Elijah had to come before this Messiah. Mm-hmm. That's what, that was one of like the prophecy signs that Elijah would return before the Messiah. Oh, uh, okay. So you see, because he was exalted yep, during his yep, lifetime, and he would come back. And what she's doing here, I think, is showing that Elijah has. I mean, if he says that he says Elijah has come. This has happened, and that brings the significance of John the Baptist into the whole gospel. So, why are all these stories about this guy John baptizing people yeah. significant? Like, I don't think it. It's significant that he's baptizing people and telling people that the kingdom is coming and he has a little encounter with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But I think the significance is that after all this, the Jewish people and the early Christians realize now who John the Baptist was, his yeah. purpose. And that's why he's included in the gospel stories. I think if if that connection wasn't made, he wouldn't have been that as significant of a person mm-hmm. in the account. But here it's showing that John the Baptist was the Elijah. There, yeah. Way. That's interesting. I think it's cool that Jesus uh, like cites scripture. The, like the end of like this section, he basically what you just said, to be sure Elijah does come first and restore all things. Why then is it written that the son of man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they've wished, just as it is written about. Mm-hmm. And early on in Mark's gospel, we hear about John the Baptist getting beheaded, yep. Yep. you know? So like it, it's continuing that storyline, uh, it's it's hard right now. Like you know, we've talked about it in this too. The literary design of the gospel and like the themes in them. We call it with that one thing the inclusio. Yeah. And like we see these things. And right now, I'm reading a book on like creative writing mm-hmm. and just like fictional writing. And I'm starting to notice these aspects of how you need to tell a story properly and I'm noticing him in scripture now yeah so like you have a main storyline and then you have these sub stories that happen to your characters think of any novel or yep. movie you watch and you have that same thing in the gospel uh, you have this main storyline of Jesus and these sub stories but you also have like the story of John the Baptist John the Baptist. happening like you don't know the entire thing but you know what they want to tell you yeah. about and you kind of get more revealed as it goes yep. yeah the, the other thing um about like the way that the gospels were or are designed is I'm reading a book a little bit more uh, theologically based. But, uh, uh, hey. <laughs> Mine talks about scripture. Yeah, yeah. They kind of make fun of it, uh, but mine, mine's called Paul. <laughs> uh, 
book that you got me. But um, no, it talks about like so like Jesus right there references like uh, references scripture, right? So like in that people, if they were like reading or telling the story, like especially the people who were like Jewish before um, kind of all the the non-Jews were invited into this, they would have like understood and recognized like that story and like pulled the two together to try to like um, make that connection and comparison. Yeah. And so they'd be like, oh, the story of like when Elijah is supposed to return and then the idea of the Messiah. Oh, wait, so you're saying that like Jesus is that Messiah like through those things because of all of, like the different context clues that come up. Yeah. Like that's what's really interesting to me because you have this entire like literary setup and design that even people who like take interest in, in the Bible like we do mm-hmm. it's like we don't have those like ins and outs yeah. you know what I mean it's like we have to study so much to like to be able to recognize some of those things Yeah. but for them that would have been like normal referencing they would have got it right away like like a movie reference mm-hmm. or something like that they yeah. just would have got it like, you know at the end of Marvel movies after the credits they show like a 10 second scene yeah and like Chloe she'll go she'll, she'll know right away what that means I'm like, I'm not like versed in Marvel movies. So I'm like, who's that? Like, what's that? Why is that significant yeah. in the story? But she knows. Like, yep. she just sees like a hand go across the screen and she's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm like, what? I'm so lost. So, yeah, it's like that. Yeah, and we, we get these clues. Yeah, we get some of those, some of those things too, where it does come like at the end. If you want to look at like the last chapter, for example, you have Jesus telling about what the Messiah is really going to go through. And then end chapter, end scene. Yeah. If you like, if you want yeah. to think about it that way, yeah. so uh, it's just like a snippet. Mm-hmm. It's kind of. I have just thought of that too. Kind of, I just read on uh, this morning how how to end your chapters when writing a fiction novel, mm-hmm. and now it makes sense it makes why. sense on how the when the people put together the gospel scriptures and they put chapters. I'm yeah. like, oh, I see. They were just doing what was normal for their literary yeah. culture to end a chapter. Yeah, because like the last chapter especially, it's like, we'll just back it up a little bit because then it'll all go together. I won't have to have this giant nine in the way. <laughs> I know, like the different titles. Yeah. It's crazy. You know? Yeah. No, it is. Like, to be honest, I don't, I don't read this Bible the one I have now. Like, yeah. I, I never read it. Like, I have it out right now. That's when I usually have it out because I, the one I read now is doesn't have any of that. Yeah. It's so much more free. I was reading on, like, on my phone. I have the Blue Letter Bible app. And you can either have it broken down by, like, individual verse or it'll do paragraphs mm-hmm. so but it'll paragraph the entire chapter okay and so it won't have any titles titles yeah, it'll just titles. have indentations and i'm like oh, i just read all of mark nine in four seconds like because like the, i don't have to rethink i just yeah. go from like periods mm-hmm. so so much more no it was actually a lot better i thought and with, with on that, on that, so we see this transfiguration, this big event happen, and then you know the section ends. We keep talking about this every time, yeah. but um, but it goes right into the story of um, the title, the healing of the boy with an evil spirit. Yeah, but you got to keep it. it 
you have to understand the transfiguration just happened. So how does this story fit now with that new information? Mm-hmm. And that's how we are to read. Well, it's like, yeah. So we've, we've already read seven stories of Jesus healing people with yeah, why spirits. And why, yeah. Why another one? But it's so now like put yourself in the mind frame of like someone's telling you a story. They just told you about the transfiguration. You understand the context of Moses and Elijah being there. And then it makes sense because you're like, oh, John the Baptist. And then Jesus goes and heals a boy yeah. with an impure spirit. You're like, oh, makes complete sense to me now. <laughs> so it's interesting that this one is they couldn't, like the disciples couldn't heal him. Yeah, I and thought then, that was really interesting. And he's like, oh, you have a little faith. And then the dad even says, like, why can't this one? Uh-huh. So he, he reveals this, this struggle with faith. And then Jesus says, this the only generation. Prayer. Oh, no, okay. This, yeah, yeah. this spirit can only heal with prayer, which it's not a teaching on prayer. I don't think it's a teaching on faith. Mm. Showing that faith comes from God yeah. through prayer. And again, right after Transfiguration, you're revealing who the Messiah yeah. is, telling them what's going to happen to him. He's going to go die. And now he's teaching them this idea of faith. Yeah. And faith yeah, that, comes that, not from even he doesn't say faith comes from me. See, faith comes from God through prayer. So he's teaching his disciples something mm-hmm. about where their faith should come from. Because right now their faith is probably coming from the person of Jesus. Yeah, that's interesting. And he's no longer gonna be with them. So he's training them, trying to show them something. Yeah. I think yeah, the when Jesus calls them an unbelieving generation, yeah. I think that's interesting because you have so many people that Jesus interacts with who have everything set up correctly, but they don't actually believe in what they're doing or saying. And that's something like we've talked about a ton. It's like, do you actually believe in what you're doing and what you're saying or are you just like Same. programmed to say yeah. those things because of the correct answers? And that's what I think we can't get away from that as humans where I think like Paul, I think like that's what he did. He said, oh, you're the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Like that was a true thing that he fully believed. But I think he still was struggling with like, that's what you're supposed to be. So that's my answer. Um, so, say, so you're saying that Paul recognizes the correct answer. And so then that's what he proclaims, but he has a hard time. I think doing he's still it. struggling believing it. And that's where this teaching comes in because then in verse 30 and 30 to 32, Jesus tells them about his coming death. Yeah. And they don't understand it again. Yeah. And he was, all right, I just showed you who I am. I've told you about my death before. I just taught you on this idea of faith coming from God. And now you're still struggling with believing in all this. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, the conversations that they're having are on two different levels. Mm-hmm. It's the disciples are asking, why isn't like, why isn't this working? Because this has worked for us before in the past. And Jesus answers up here, kind of like he does with the Pharisees. He answers the question indirectly. Yeah. And then the disciples return the conversation back down. And Jesus is like, you guys are... I'm trying to, like, grow and show you something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but again, but still, so now, now logically, I would say, they believe Jesus is the Messiah. Um, they might not believe it with their hearts fully in the implications of that, but they know, they mentally can understand that or can say it. Yeah. And he, they, the first thing they ask is just going to be the greatest in verse 34. 
it says. They came to Capernaum, where he was in the house, and he asked them, What are you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Yeah. And it's like, so it's like so they, funny. So they know, they know, oh, man, he's more sad. So what one's going to be? Like his right hand. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, that's what I'm saying. Showing they mentally understand, but not, not really. Yeah. Um, but this goes into like these three questions that Jesus answers. Um, and that being the first is who is, yeah. who is the greatest. Now that we know you're the Messiah, what one? Do you like the most? Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite? Yeah. He's like, who's your, who's your best friend? Um, so on 36 and 37, um, looking at my notes here, I just have the word, <laughs> the comment thoughts next to it. Mm-hmm. So let's read it and let's try to see what I was thinking. He took a little child whom he placed among them, taking the child in his arms. He said to them, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome. But whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Okay. So let me see if let me see if I got this this right. Whoever welcomes one of the little children in my name welcomes me. Okay, so that would be either someone not versed in Jewish tradition, mm-hmm. Gentile, or someone who is like oppressed in the societal like norm. Yeah. Okay. And then whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And so if you recognize like who Jesus is, the Messiah and everything, what you're doing is you're not really praising the person of Jesus, but you're praising God. God. Through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, that's so fascinating. Yeah. That'd, that'd be, that'd be one that I highlighted. <laughs> yeah. And that, that teaching of the little children, the little ones will yeah. continue. Yep. Um, and because uh, like you think of like a little child like they're helpless yeah to, so, so you have that like they don't have any status in society the children don't um they're considered, they don't know the torah they don't know the law so they're religiously yeah not there dumb, not there um so they represent they're not it's not just whoever accepts little kids like no it's yeah. talking about a type of person yeah in society a status more it's a title um, so whoever welcomes them, the outcast, the non-religious, mm-hmm. the non-whatever you want to say. Yeah. Um, but then they continue, and it just, it's kind of interesting. You don't really see the disciples reacting to these teachings, but it just moves on. Teacher, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him, to, oh, no, he's probably addressing that, because whoever welcomes me does not welcome yeah. me. But when he sent me, he goes, oh, okay, well, someone was doing something under your name. Uh-huh. So what about them? Yeah. So he's still addressing that same question. Yeah, I think this is really interesting. Because, um, like, before, I would probably say, like, yeah, depending on, like, what you're doing or what you believe in or who you stand for, it's like, I don't know, don't say that you're doing it in the name of like God or Jesus or whatever. Yeah. But I think that's really like, I think it, like looking at it right now, it looks really cool. Like if someone who isn't maybe like on the in crowd, but knows enough that like Jesus would 
be doing something like this mm-hmm. and they're like doing it, I think that's really awesome, actually. Yeah. Because yeah. as long as it's not a negative, which is yeah, kind of so what imagine he if ends a, up saying. Like a non-believer, I'd say, or... I don't know. I don't know. I want to compare it to something in our society. Well, like for whoever is not against us is for us. So as long as it's not like uh, blaspheming, like the name, he's like, then doesn't it doesn't hurt us? Which I think is it's it's a really cool like attitude to have on it. Openness in Jesus, yeah. There is acceptance of all people. Yeah. And then the final the final question. Um, and he kind of addresses that. But if anyone causes these little ones uh, who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. Yeah, it's kind of rough. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you don't cause any one of... Oh, but then if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. So if you, eye causes if you chip more than three times in a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great teaching. <laughs> but it's still addressing that same that same uh, same question. An attitude towards others. Those who cause people to not be able to connect with God. Mm-hmm. Or those who put barriers in the way for them to connect with God. Yeah. That's how that's how I read it. Yeah, totally. and the coolers doing it at that time, the Pharisees. Yep, they're causing people not being able to connect with God because they weren't they were religious outcasts. They had social, they weren't socially accepted, so they could not come to God. So I think it's more than your average. Uh, don't cause someone to do something bad. It's are you impeding someone to connect with God? Are you making them? wear the proper clothes to come to church? Are you making them sing the, like, like, are you impeding? Yeah, like, are you, are you creating a barrier for their relationship with God? And I, I think we do that more than like, worrying about like actions, you know? So we make people, but do you think that these are intentional things or these things that he's like, if you recognize it, stop it. But for the majority, I don't think that ours are intentional barriers. I think they end up being like that, Mm. but I don't think we go through our day saying, how how can we mess up some of these like new people? Yeah, no, obviously we don't do that, but think of, as humans, we so desperately want to be in the in crowd, and if we let everyone in now, it's not. It's no end. longer the in crowd. It's, yeah. So by nature, we seclude people. Yeah, totally. So that's where I think this teaching is so great because it just it's a check on yourself. Like, are you causing others not to be able to be in your in crowd because they don't say the right yeah. thing or do the right thing? Yeah, you know, totally. Yeah, it's, I think it's an awesome teaching. Yeah, and then after after this. Um, the last verse of this whole chapter, I think sum up sums up all these questions. In verse 50, uh, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? And then here it tells you what the salt is. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. I think that covers those teachings. Be at peace with each other. Who's going to be the first? Be at peace with each other. Who's against us? Who's for us? Be at peace with each other. Yeah. <laughs> 
are are we supposed to want everyone in or like like how does that work being yeah. at peace with each other totally like it kind of just encompasses that whole the whole question of who is the greatest yeah yeah it's a good chapter it is it's yeah, a solid a chapter that's, for, that's what I'm saying like I'm excited to keep going now yeah um, but, uh, like slowing down in I mean, we said it last week, too, with the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000 for the second time. Yeah. And uh, it's just that idea of the reader. So the reader already knows that Jesus is the Messiah, right? Yep. But the disciples don't know that from the very beginning. We learn that from, like, verse 3. <laughs> but the, the disciples don't learn that until just last chapter and so the story that we're seeing three times on the same light they're now seeing a new story through a different lens they're like oh this is jesus the messiah performing this miracle yeah before is, it wasn't it was yeah. just this crazy man dude going around yeah. oh, this, this great teacher that's doing miracles but now yeah oh it's just messiah figure yeah. you know which just, just makes some like it it's I, I understand now why there's repeating stories. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, but before, it's always like, oh, this story yeah, again. Yeah, it's like, oh, I've already read this. Yeah, cool. I get he heals people. Yeah. But if that's all you're getting out of is that that's not what the story's trying to tell you. Yeah, totally. We all know Jesus heals people. Yeah. So why are these the stories that we pick to put in yeah. this gospel? Yeah. So. It makes it interesting, too. It's like... Uh, Use context when you read. <laughs> yeah, use your brain. <laughs> yep. All right. So, uh, for some of you guys know, uh, me and Ken are off to Mexico this weekend for a mission trip. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Uh, and then next week, we'll go over Mark 10. Yep. See ya. Bye.